Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Well, guys, I'm excited about this. Again, we've been uh, ministering on a series called The Authority of the Believer, and we're going to continue with that. And let me just encourage you, don't sit back in your chair to think, well, man, we've talked about this for about the last four weeks now. Are you going to go on to anything different? We are, but we just want to make sure that we take the time to really dig into this so that you have a greater understanding of what it looks like or what your authority looks like. And so therefore, if you'll grab hold of it, in fact, for that matter, I always find it interesting when people say, well, I've heard about that before I know all that. Well, when it becomes revelation to you, when it really is something that you understand and value, it's not a matter of, oh, I got to hear that again. No, our attitude is, man, I get to hear that again because every time I hear it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and it just helps me grow in my faith concerning that subject. So when it really is alive to us, we don't mind hearing it again. It's just like, well, praise the Lord, that's good stuff. You know, uh, Brother Hagin, he used to tell stories all the time, and, and we used to joke about it because we could start telling his stories. You know, we could start speaking them or saying them along with him as he's saying them because they were so familiar. But it's in those stories that you find the revelation of what he's trying to tell you. And so you begin to esteem and value those stories after the fact, like, man, there was a lot of nuggets of truth in those things. And so, again, we're just purposing to dive into tonight uh, concerning this authority that God has given us. And if you recall, we said this, that there is something very significant in regards to this authority that God has given us. And it goes back to the very beginning of creation when God made us in his image and his likeness. He said, now you have authority and you subdue or that which is trying to come against the authority I gave you, you conquer it. And one of the things we said that is significant in the way that God made us, that everything God did in creation, he used faith but spoke words to release his faith. And so, therefore, he made us to be like him, and we are in the same manner of him as though we are a speaking spirit, or we actually have a means to articulate and speak. And we said that authority is conferred and transferred by words, right? That makes sense? Everybody kind of up to snuff? Uh, we don't have to go over a lot of things concerning that right now, right? Right. We got it? So our words or the words in which we speak are significant and they guard and guide our our life. And so if you will, let's spend some time looking in the scripture tonight. I want to take a look at a few different places. Uh, You know, years ago, it seems as though we oftentimes would spend time flipping through the scripture and looking at some things. And and oftentimes we've gotten away from that. But tonight I want to dig into some scripture. And so if you got your Bibles... Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to begin in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting in verse 11. He says this. He says in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. Have you ever noticed that children 
talk a certain way. They have baby talk or they just talk nonstop. Or they just don't know how to talk properly. <laughs> Again, we could we talk a lot about that. Right? But you know what I'm saying? It says that when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So one of the significant things that I want to bring to your attention concerning those two verses is that first of all, he says, there is some changes that take place as you mature and as you grow, right? One of those things that you develop and grow in is the way that you talk in the way that you think, and the way that you act. But then he says this, he says, as you begin to grow and mature, he's reflecting on your spiritual growth. He says, it's like you're looking in a mirror, seeing face to face. What is he referring to? He's saying, when you look in a mirror, the reflection of who you see is who you really are in Christ. He says, while you're here on this earth, you're going to see dimly, or in other words, you're not going to see everything that God sees in you or everything that God made you to be. But there's coming a day when you get to heaven that you're going to say, wow, that's really what you did when you came and when you died for me. That's what you meant for us to experience on this earth. And so it says, again, there's coming a time where you're going, to be under, you're going to understand who God truly made you to be. And so therefore, once again, he's saying, there's something that I want you to see in that mirror. And it's the real you. If we go over to 2 Corinthians, let's go to the next chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 18. It says, but we all, speaking of the church, but we all with unveiled faces, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, they're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Remember we said that we are made in the image of God. That's how he first originally made man. Jesus restored us back to that place of how Adam was supposed to be in the first place. With authority and to have dominion. And he says, as you look in the mirror, you're finding out the image of who I made you to be. All right, now let's look at this last one in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Once again, notice he says, I'm wanting you to understand that as you look in the mirror, don't just see the natural man. And obviously he's speaking figuratively. But as you look in the mirror, don't just see the natural man, you, that's fat, short, tall, skinny, whatever you see on the outside. There's more to you than meets the eye. I want you to see who you really are. We see here in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. He says, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, 
goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man or what manner of man he was. But he who looks, in the, looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So once again, are you seeing that he's saying, there is something that I want you to see, and what I want you to see is who I made you to be. He said, but now, the thing that causes you to know who you are is the Word of God. And therefore, once you have the Word of God or begin to have a steady diet of the Word of God, it begins to reveal what Christ did for us and who we are in Him. But he says, now listen, he says, if you don't purpose to continually remind yourself, you'll turn around and you'll forget what manner of man or person that I made you to be. So let me paint that in a scenario. You come to church and you hear these things like, wow, praise the Lord. God has been good to me. God wants to heal my body. God wants to set me free. God wants to get invested in my life. God's given me authority. And we say, praise God, it's good stuff. And then we leave church and go back to the old life and just keep doing what we've always done. And we forget what manner of man we just discovered that we were. Does that make sense? Why? Because we've got to be intentional to know who we are in Christ. Now let's take it a little step further here. Just turn to Galatians chapter 3, if you will. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Do you recall we said this before? That when it comes to Jesus... Jesus did not think it to be robbery to consider himself equal with God. And everybody would say, well, he was God. So yeah, sure enough, he's equal to God. But the Bible also says that just as he is, so are we in the earth. We also saw that the scripture says, I believe it was over in Hebrews, where it says that God crowned him with glory and honor and made him a little lower than himself. But then the next sentence says, and God crowned man with glory and honor, and made, him, made man a little lower than himself. So once again, we are starting to see that there is a parallel between us and Jesus. Who God made Jesus to be is how he made us to be. The Bible says that we're joint heirs with Christ, so everything that Jesus received when he rose from the dead, we received. We said that there's an inheritance that belongs to us as believers, right? If you don't recall those things, go back and listen to them on the Wednesday night broadcast or po podcast online, and you can get caught up to speed. So he says that we are like Jesus. In fact, <clears throat> we, when we, well, in fact, before we get there, I, I'll share this with you. Verse 29, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. It says, and if you are Christ... Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now how we've had that taught to us for so many years is that if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. That's not what that scripture is saying. He says, if you 
Christ. So listen to how it's defined in the Greek. It's not as speaking of a belonging to, but it's a description of the quality and of the character of the person mentioned. Who's being mentioned? You. If you be Christ. As though the idea through contact to be rubbed or to smear or to anoint or to consecrate an office. So did you realize that Christ was not Jesus' last name? Christ was a description of who he was. Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. So in that scripture, he's not saying, or the Apostle Paul's not saying, if you belong to Christ, he says, if you are Christ, then you are heirs according to the promise. How can I say that I'm Christ? Because the Bible says that we are the body of him. Does that make sense? So, if I cut my arm off, would you say, that's Sandy? No, you would look at that arm and you say, that, that's yours. I'm like, yeah, I know it. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the head. We are the body. You can't separate one from the other. And for that matter, we don't belong to Christ. We belong to God. The Bible says that we're joint heirs, and Jesus is actually our elder brother. So what's the point? The point is, is that God looks at you just as he sees Jesus. And therefore, how Jesus functioned with authority is the same authority that he has given you and me. Amen? This is the authority that we've been given in Christ. To function, to talk, to act like, and expect what God said he will do. And so if we keep that in mind, then when we begin to look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, these things start to make sense where before we're like, what does that mean? But now as we see in the light of what was truly meant, it begins to come together. For instance, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Also in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense now? I was crucified with Christ. How many of you went to the cross? Anybody if you go to the cross by yourself? Anybody put any nails in your hands? No. But the Bible says we were crucified with Christ. Why? Because as he is, so are we. Or what he did, he did for us. Therefore, the rewards of that belong to us. Amen? And you remember where I said Jesus said he didn't think it to be robbery to consider himself equal with God? There's a difference between being equal to God versus being equal with God. So I'll give you an example. God made us in his image and likeness to be like him. So if I had two specimens up here, one was a rattlesnake, and this one over here, if they were alive today, this is a T-Rex. 
This thing is extremely small. This thing is ginormous. And if you get too close, this thing's going to eat you. But that's a reptile, and so is that. It's the same species, right? They're equal. All right, if I had a little cat, cat, cat over here, it's calico, pretty, man. He comes rubbing up on your leg, purring. He's just the nicest thing. And then I got over here a Bengal tiger. One's big, one's small. One's nice, one's not so nice. But they're the same. They're the same species. They're equal with. Does that make sense? So how did God make us? He made us in his image, his likeness. We are spirit beings. Therefore, God is a spirit, and we are equal with God because we're of the same nature of who he is. Just happening to, living in, to be living in a physical body. Does that tra- are you tracking with the premise of that? So therefore, when it says, if you be Christ... Uh, Is it saying, if you be Jesus Christ in the flesh? No, you are Christ. You are part of his body, and his anointing is upon your life. And the anointing destroys the yoke. It removes the burdens. Therefore, you have the ability to exercise the same kind of authority. Amen? Now, let me just take a, a side note with that, because we talked about the significance of how we're equal with God, and that is the words in which we speak, of how we talk. For instance, this past week, I was at school. I I teach at the Bible school on Thursday nights. And so I was down there in the office getting ready to to teach. And then the back half of the offices, there's a kitchen back there. And uh, they have, (laughs) this is so cool. I need one of these for our office. But they have this Starbucks machine. I mean, it's not a little coffee maker. I mean, it is a real life full-blown Starbucks machine. And so I went back there and I got my Starbucks coffee. That's what my custom is. I go there and get my Starbucks. And so I came out. Pastor Jerry's in the, the hallway. We start talking. He's getting ready to go do a, a funeral. And we're just talking natural things. And so he says goodbye. I turn around and I go up into the office space where I, I spend my time when I'm there. As soon as I walked into the office, as I'm walking in, I'm just saying, glory to God. Praise God. And the wildest thing happened because I was just talking to Pastor Jerry a few seconds ago, coffee in hand, and out of my mouth as I walk into my office, I say, praise God, and the glory of God, the presence of God showed up. I'm like, whoa. I mean, I wasn't expecting God. I wasn't in a real deep moment of of worship. I just, it's part of my custom as I drive down the road, as I take my kids to school, whatever it is, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That's what I I do throughout my day. And as I walked into the office, I said, glory to God. Man, the presence of God showed up. And I'm like, wow. So I just praised God a little bit more. And I'm thinking, man, tonight's going to be a good night at class, man. It's the presence of God showed up. Well, I didn't say anything to my wife. But you see, one of the things is that in the words of what I said, I, I was giving glory to God. And therefore, in giving glory to God, God showed up in glory. Does that make sense? My words created a substance or a tangibility of who God is because my words carry weight. Well, as I said, I didn't say anything to my wife about that. But this past Sunday, she said to me when we got home, she said, you know, 
This morning when I got up and started to exhort after the praise and worship team, she said, when I said glory to God, she goes, man, there was something on that. And she said, man, the presence of God just came all over me when I said that. And she goes, wow. She goes, man, it was extremely noticeable. I'm like, well, praise God. Well, then 30 minutes later, Dave calls me up. Dave is our, when, on the worship team. He calls me up and he says, Pastor, he says, man, I was playing today. He said, I have never experienced that before. He said, I was playing, I think it was the third song. I don't know which one it was. So I was playing that song. He said, man, when I got to that song, he said, man, the presence of God. He said, I'd never felt it that much before. He said, it, from the top of my head down to my feet, he said, man, I just felt the presence of God. Well, what causes that? It's the expression of our mouth, the words in which we speak, that has creative substance about it, that when we start to give glory to God, God says, okay, I'll show up in glory. Amen? And I can have an expectation of God's manifested presence wherever I go. And the more I purpose to cultivate that awareness, God just says, man, I'll love on you. I'll just show up. I'll bless you. I'll just... I'll just hang out with you because of the power of our words. Are, are you tracking with me? There's a significance in the words in which we speak that, that help us create the, the, the world that we're living in. And when I say the world we're living in, I'm talking about my space, my bubble, you know. My words have authority. Amen. And so, with that being said, I want to challenge you concerning just the words of which you speak. And again, I'm taking a little bit of a side journey here, but talking about the authority. Because remember he said, being a doer of the word? Well, see, the Bible says this, that the word of God will, or it says it this way, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, there's a lot of people that say, I want to be transformed. I want to be transformed. I want God to transform me and do, do something in my life. Well, the only way that you can have that transformation in your life is if the Word of God is a regular diet in your life, and therefore it will begin to transform your mind, and then therefore it will begin to transform your mouth, and then it will transform your world. Does that make sense? See, there's a difference between being, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed means that you look different, you act different. Conformed means that there's pressure to make you act a certain way. Right? Anybody got a, you know, a Nerf football? I mean, it looks like a football, but if I squeeze that football and add pressure to it, I can conform it into a little ball, right? But the moment I take the pressure off, it goes back to a football. And that's what the world does all the time. Puts pressure on you to think and act in do all the things that it's trying to influence you to do. And here's, here's what, you know, as a pastor, you see too often times is where people come to church and church isn't transforming, church is conforming. What I mean by that is that they come to church just long enough for it to conform with their attitude. <laughs> for an hour and a half, they, they act right. For an hour and a half, they watch what they say. They watch what they think. And then they get outside of church and there's no more pressure of church. Oh, I can go back to the, the way that I was. You know what I mean? 
It's not meant to be that way. It's meant to transform our life so that we begin to act different, look different, talk different. Rather than just being a pressure to try to make us do something. And, and again, I'm talking about the, the importance of our words because we've got to guard the words in which we speak. To understand that your words transfer and confer your, your authority and what you say and how you say things begins to transform your life. The, the Bible says that we are judged by our words, that we are uh, snared by our words, that we're uh, accountable to every idle word that we speak. And so we've got to get good about training our tongue because that begins to shape the world that we live in. And just to kind of give you an example of it, and, and I don't, I really wrestled with this today because there was, there's, it's been on my heart, and I thought, God, I just, I, I don't know if, if I should go there or talk about that. And God says, well, how, how do people know unless you share it? And like I said, this Wednesday night is always about stretching, right, and growing. So you realize that, you know, sometimes you just, you get a good workout when you come to church, right? You, you feel it the next day. Wednesday night, there you go. Well, I, I, I was talking to the Lord, and, and, and this example came to mind. There was this gentleman that I know, and, and he's a Christian man. He goes to church, you know, periodically. And, uh, oh, I don't know. I think it was last year. I don't remember. But we, we got together. And as we got together, we're just hanging out, doing life and, and whatever it was that we were doing. And then in the midst of it, he, he, he kind of lets these words come out of his mouth. And then he starts laughing. He says, oh, you know, excuse me. He said, you know, you know I just, you know, I, I kind of got a bad habit of just kind of talking bad. And, and he said, but, you know, we're just guys, right? He said, we're just hanging out, you know. He said, no big deal, right? And, 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 and acted like there was no big thing. And I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but you realize the words in which we speak or in the manner in which we speak is a result of the renewing of our mind. If our mouth is unguarded or if certain things or certain words come out of our mouth, it is a result of an untamed mouth and it's a reflection of an untrained mind. And where does the mind become trained? Through the word of God. And so my point in bringing that up is, is that if I can identify somebody that in their vocabulary that they are unguarded and uncontrolled and they'll just talk a certain way when they're outside of church, that their life is not governed in the way that they desire through the authority that they have because their mouth is unbridled. Does that make sense? Our mouth and the words in which we speak are so important. I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. We could talk more. Maybe we will at a, at a later time. But my point is this. Is that it's a reflection of the renewing of our mind. And it's not a matter of saying, you know, I, I've got to have a police on, you know, somebody watching over what I'm saying. When... when we purpose to grow in the Word of God, the Word of God will begin to shape our thought life. Okay, let me put it a different way. This is, I'm talking about thought life. For instance, 
if, if us husbands, if, if us guys continually to meditate on porna, porna, uh, pornographic images in our mind, nobody knows what's going on in our thought life. But do you think that that would begin to have an effect on our lives if I got real loose with my thinking? Sure it would. Because I'm not guarding my thought life. Well, if that is damaging or can affect my marriage, my family, or my health, my words are just as important. The Bible says that your mouth will set the course and the direction of your life. Now, again, I'm going to say something right now, so just hold on to your britches as I'm going to say it here. But let, let's just say, for instance, you get mad, and, and as, you're, as you're mad, because it's in the heat of the moment, you're like, well, God damn it. Well, do you realize that God's not a dammer? God's a blesser. He's a giver of life. But we've allowed our mouth to damn something. And because of the authority and the weight of my words, I begin to set things in motion by the words in which I say. Well, that's not a big deal. That's, come on, you're just, you're just splitting hairs here and getting this real technical. Well, why don't you call your husband or wife stupid all day long? You say, oh, I didn't mean it. I don't mean it. I'm just calling you stupid. In fact, that's, that's my new nickname for you. Hey, stupid. You know, I say it in love. I'm really not being mean when I say it, stupid. <laughs> Come on. You look good today, stupid. Hey, stupid, you want to go to eat somewhere? Hey, stupid, how do I look? <laughs> you know, hey, stupid, can I get your help on something? Pretty soon, like, get your own help. You just keep calling me stupid, right? Come on, are you seeing? You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big of a deal because God made us to be like him. And the words in which we speak set things in motion. And if I can begin to identify what my mouth is saying, or if I'm loose in my mouth, that tells me that I'm loose in my thoughts. If I'm loose in my thoughts, then I'm loose in the word. If I'm loose in the word, then that means that I am not functioning in the realm of God's desire for me to take control of my life. Are you tracking with me? Because I'm not, I, I, please don't hear me as being hard or critical. I, I'm saying I just know that this just hits home for so many of us, right? It's important to understand the significance and the power of our words. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, getting back on course of what we were talking about. It says that he who made him to, uh, uh, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So when Jesus died, <clears throat> it says that he made us righteous, put us in right standing with God, put us in a good position. Do you realize that God never made anything unrighteous? And through the work of what he did at the cross, he certainly did not do it for the sake of making us inferior, but superior when it comes to the enemy. And so, with what he did, and the Bible says that if Christ lives in us, or I should say that uh, uh, the Bible does say that Christ lives in us, well, if he's in us, 
then there ought to be some traces of him being there, right? My kids live with me, and there are traces all over of them being there. I mean, it, they can be gone from school, and I can come home and like, yep, kids are home, right? I, I, have, you ever, have you ever gone into somebody's house, and when you went into their house, you're like, yep, it smells like so-and-so. There's just a fragrance. Well, if Jesus lives in us, and if we're that close, then there ought to be some expression, some evidence, some fragrance of who God is in our life, right? And here's what the Bible says. Let me turn there. In, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14, it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Amen. So in other words, there ought to be evidence in every place when I go there that I was there because of the authority, the position that I have in Christ. Amen. How many places do we go that nobody ever knew that we were Christians? Right? And maybe they didn't know we were Christians because of what we were doing was just like everybody else, what they were doing. And dear God, I'm surely not going to stand up and be a Christian right now in this environment because <laughs> what would that look like? But the Bible says that when Christ is in us, when we know who we are, when we function in this place, when our mind is renewed, that there is a fragrance of who he is in every place. My wife, she did this, oh, I don't know, it was just not too long ago. I had a shirt out. She put my shirt on. And she's walking around the house, and then she keeps doing this. What are you doing? She goes, it smells like you. I just like it. <laughs> I just like it. It smells like you. I don't stink. I smell good. <laughs> she always asks me that. She goes, don't you ever stink? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I know. I got good genes that way, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Are you catching my point? Have you ever been somewhere where you smell and you're like, oh. Or, or like you see them and, and you're like, oh, they passed through here because there's still a fragrance of them lingering behind. Come on, that ought to be us as the church. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, so the Bible says this. Talking about this authority that we have. It's expressed through our words. Learning how to take captive the words in which we speak. And knowing that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It says here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts in wickedness in the heavenly places. It says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So in other words, your brother-in-law, your mother-in-law is not your enemy. No. There might be conflict, but you know who's stirring the conflict up? The enemy's trying to bring division and schism in the family. But here's another thing. When you look at some scriptures concerning that, it always talks about or it refers to a hierarchy of the enemy or the enemy's camp. 
And do you know that, the, the, that you've heard Beelzebub? You've heard that term before? Do you know what Beelzebub translates as? The Lord of the Flies. And have you ever noticed that flies always like to circle around your head? That's him. Where does he like to mess with you? In your head. Constantly buzzing around. Trying to get you to think differently. You think differently, you'll start talking differently. You start talking differently, you'll start acting differently. But the Bible says we've got authority. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll finish with this here. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It says, let us draw near. Let us come boldly into the presence of God. Remember I said that you're the righteousness of God? So you have every right to come into God's presence. But notice this. Remember when I said your mouth can tap into the presence of God? Notice it says, when you find yourself coming to God in full assurance of faith, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When you get into the presence of God, God's going to speak some things to your heart. That becomes your confession. So I could say it this way. God's going to give you strong words to speak. When I purpose to get into God's presence, especially in the times of trouble, the times that I'm going through some things, that's the time that I need to get into the presence of God. And it's when I get into the presence of God that God's going to speak to my heart, give me a promise to hold on to, and those are the words of confession that I hold on to. When everything says you're going down, no, God said, and I start to speak it. When the doctors say you're going to die, and God says, no, I'll live in Jesus' name. I begin to exercise my authority through the words in which I speak. Amen? I'll just finish it with this example. Going back to the last building that we, we got before we came into here. We were just a young church when we purposed to get that. We went to seven banks. Seven banks told us no. We got to the last bank. And as I went to him, I said, this is what we're looking to do. He says, well, why don't you get the church to co-sign for it? In other words, he wanted me to come to you and have you co-sign for the building. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, either we'll get it on our merits and our, our consistency of what our track record's been, or I guess we just don't do it. He says, well, I have to go to the board. And he says, oh, that's this Friday. He says, give me till Friday and I'll call you back. So Thursday night, I was downstairs and I was praying. I said, okay, God, I know that you said that this is our building. I said, I've gone through seven banks and the answers have been no. I said, I'm, I've exhausted my means of banks. And I said, so therefore, you said, and I'm praying that this is going to go through tomorrow. tomorrow. And so I just began to Pray till the point where I knew that I prayed all that I needed to pray, and I got the victory. 
And so from there, I just began to praise God. God, I thank you. I give you glory and praise. Thank you that the deal's done. Well, the next morning, I got up real early, and I went back downstairs, and I began to pray again. And I said, God, I said, last night, I prayed. I know that I got the victory. I know that we got the building. I said, but tell me how, do I, tell me how I pray right now. And God said to me, he said, begin to prepare the boardroom. See, he was going to the board. He says, you prepare the boardroom by your prayer, by your words. I'm like, ha okay. See, I already prayed the victory. I already got the answer. But Lord, I thank you right now. I'm preparing the boardroom. Ministering angels, you go, th- go, go and fill that place. Holy Spirit, fill that place with peace and confidence. I thank you for the favor of God. The favor of God is working on our behalf. So every person there that's on the board, they're going to respond to the presence and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. He's our advocate. You're going to work for us. So God, I thank you right now that the boardroom is being prepared for our victory in Jesus' name. And just began to pray. And then I got to the place where I sensed the victory and praise God. Well, then it was a couple hours later, standing in Sam's by the freezer section. Got the phone call. Says, hello. He says, you've been praying? I said, I've been praying you make the right choice. He says, well, you got your building. Amen. Praise God. So my point is, is that I got in the presence of God and God told me how to pray. Therefore, those were the words in which I began to speak and began to pray out Thank you for the boardroom. It's being prepared. So there are things that you'll go through in life that you don't have the answer for, but you can get into the presence of God. He'll give you a strong word to hold on to. That is his promise. And therefore, those are the things that you begin to say when the enemy says, oh, I don't think so. Nope. I'm using my authority, and I'm choosing my words correctly. And this is what God said. And he's faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's all I got for tonight. Anybody learn anything tonight? Did you learn something? Are you just waving at me? <laughs> hey, how you doing? If you learn anything, anybody want to share what you learned? What you learned tonight? Anybody? subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life